Welcome into the Sharp Angles podcast. This is season two, episode four. My name is Warren Sharp of sharpfootballanalysis.com. It seems like it's been a long time to get to this episode, guys, and it really has. The last time we joined you was May 8th, I believe. We did a post-schedule release, and that was a lot of fun talking about the 2020 NFL schedule. And thank God, fortunately, we are still on track with week one. We have had no impediments to that yet. Uh, but we wanted to come to you today, uh, bringing in my guys here who have been working with me on this book and share a little bit about the 2020 football preview. It's a labor of love of mine that uh, takes place for months now. And uh, it's, it's been a lot of work. And we just want to talk to you about the process, what we've got in this book, and really excited for you guys to be able to pick it up. You can pick it up right now. It's on pre-sale and uh, it's coming out next week. But uh, I'm joined by two guys that are really vital to building this book. Uh, the first one is Rich Rebar, uh, and, and we've got Dan Pazuda as well. So, Rich, let me toss it over to you real quick. I mean, you can follow Rich on Twitter, at Lord Reeves, and he's our fantasy guy now up at sharpfootballanalysis.com. You can find all of his fantasy insights up there. And he's been chiming in, uh, providing a lot of good resources for us for this book because this book covers everything. It covers analytics, it covers sports betting, and it covers a lot of fantasy. And, uh, and, and Rich, you know, first of all, how are you doing? And second of all, you know, we've come into the end of putting this book together for a few months. Uh, what are your thoughts on the process in general? And, and, and what was your first experience uh, working on the book? Yeah, what's going on, guys? I mean, here we are in July, and even for, you know, the offseason, as long as this one's been in 2020, it's crazy when they flip over that calendar and you see the, the word July and you just realize, like, how real, you know, the, the summertime is and how everything's getting. And, you know, I was someone that always got to work in, like, draft guides and contribute to magazines in the offseason, but just being part of this, you know, conglomeration, this behemoth of – football information was a totally unique experience even coming from a background for a couple of years being able to contribute to some of these magazines that go on shelves that you could get and uh, this is a book I've always gotten and purchased every year so to be part of it is really cool and to be part of uh, something that's just not strictly fantasy related like I've always been like this is a real football book uh, is something that you know for my is a unique experience for me and a first time thing and I got to contribute to actually some of the real football parts of the book too not just the fantasy stuff so that was really cool to get involved in that aspect of it and we'll talk about some of that stuff as well but it's just really great to kind of be uh you know in the ninth inning here you know to to cross pollinate a, a different sports reference but uh you know hit hit july as we really try to push this thing forward as it hits shelves yeah it's it's getting close uh next week like i said it's going to be out there and uh the guy who's been kind of bearing the brunt of all of my creativity and all of your creativity, Rich, in terms of writing this book has been Dan Pizzuta. Uh You can follow him on Twitter at Dan Pizzuta. but Dan's been, uh, he's our lead editor, but he's also contributing a valid and, and very important element to this book, which we're going to talk about in a few minutes as well. But it, it's a new element here where we're focusing a little bit more on the defensive side of the football in parts of this book. And, and I wanted Dan to write about that because he's got a great background and a lot of experience uh, writing about defense in particular and uh, so he's contributing a lot to that but Dan you know you, you've uh, you've had to read all the God knows how many thousands of words I've written for this uh, 350 page book so far and, and, and Rich's contributions as well uh, first of all you know are you still 
living over there? Are you still making it up every day or do you just dread when that alarm clock goes off and you have to edit some more of Warren's book? <laughs> yeah, I mean, as the three of us are sitting here talking about this book, I think I'm the only person who's read the entire thing uh, at this moment. <laughs> um, I have read every word of this book so far. Um, but yeah, it's been, a, it's been a, a crazy process. There's a lot that goes into it. This is my first time you know, working in something, especially at this big of the scale. Um, I've I put in a little bit of, of the three of us. I, I wrote the least, uh, but I did have all that editing, but a lot of the defense. And I think that's cool that we kind of have that in. I've been going over a lot of the depth charts and, and how teams might kind of approach things in terms of personnel, because that is important. I know we know that so much is focused on the offensive side of the ball. Um, and, and that does matter, but how defenses are, are starting to um, – you know, go against and, and figure out how to stop these offenses are also uh, going to matter. And we're, we're going to see that. So I'm excited that that's going to be uh, part of the book. Uh, obviously, the, the big chapters, uh, Warren, are, are what you are putting through. And I can't imagine um, having to write uh, the 32 big team chapters that you do. So uh, can you just, we're talking about the book. So or can you just go into when you really start working on this book and, and what your prep process is like when, when you start going into all of those. Yeah. So this book, you know, it's, um, it's a long time coming and I've been doing it for a few years. Every time that we throw it up onto, uh, typically it's been Amazon. We're going to talk about that as well. Uh, but every time I throw it up there onto Amazon, we're getting the, uh, the bestseller. Um, but, but this year has been unique, right? Because of the coronavirus and because of, uh, everything that's going on. Um, you know, the schedule has gotten adjusted a tiny bit. So in terms of when I got started on the book, it's that that was pretty standard. Um, you know, I went down to the Super Bowl beginning of February down in Miami. That was a lot of fun. Then went down to uh, the NFL Combine uh, late in February. And I actually saw you, Dan, there. We had some discussions, met with a bunch of offensive coaches at the Combine. Um, and then I was supposed to go to MIT Sloan to speak on Mina's panel the very next week. And boom, you know, I, I decided they still held it, but I decided everything I was reading and seeing about the coronavirus, I was like, ah, I don't want to really risk the travel up there uh, with some compromised immune systems here back at home. So I decided to, to call off on going to that. And um, really the country shut down like a few days after that thing, uh, after the MIT Sloan uh, conference happened. And Really, like the first couple of weeks was like, oh my God, what's happening? What, what are we doing here? But then I sort of forced myself to start focusing more on the book. So I would say we're probably about mid-March, I'm starting working on that book and uh, getting really deep into it the beginning of April. Um, and, you know, at a high level, I look at it in terms of, you know, what do I want to hit with this book. Um, and it's, it's, it's just a lot of work. We go through the free agency period. We go through the draft period. We go through uh, player movement. And that's a big factor. Obviously, we've already seen the coaches, but teams change a lot from year to year. So um, it, it really has been uh, three full months of hardcore work on the book. And um, it's, it's really what I dedicate myself to in the offseason. I love doing it, uh, but it's a lot of work. And I think, as you guys both can probably attest to, um, I think the, the readers are really going to enjoy the extra work that we put in this year and the additions that we made this year. 
I got to ask you, because I'm, I'm no stranger to long form, as, as Dan knows as well. Uh, you know, I kind of always have a more, I'm like, oh, I got I to gotta <laughs> plug this in. I get this, I got this nugget I want to fit in or some more stuff. And I see you do this, uh, this book that I've gotten, like I said, I've bought it myself for the last few years. And just a plethora of information is in there. And just how much stuff and how often you get something where like you try to wedge it in? How do you prioritize what is the most critical information per team? How do you even decide where to start with uh, this mountain of information that's there uh, that you come up with to, to start these team chapters? So, yeah, that's a, that's a great question. So the first thing that I'm looking at is big picture for the league itself. And I'm looking at what do we want to add to these team chapters that wasn't in the book previously? Because every year I'm left with like, well, this was great, but I wish I could have added one more thing. I wish I could have added this other section. So we, I spent a lot of time, I was talking with both of you guys as to like what things we could add. Well, let's put some CPOE graphs in there, some um, completion percentage over expectation graphs so people can visually take a look at uh, the quarterbacks, both on early downs and on third down. Well, let's, let's do some heat maps. I spent a lot of time building up heat maps. So it, big picture at first is just, you know, what do I want the chapters to look like um, from a visual perspective? Because there's one unique thing about this book, and I'm sure we're going to talk about it more in the future, but this is designed for visual learners. I really feel like most people in the industry and readers at home and, and consumers of this book and NFL fans in general, everybody's being led down the line of becoming more of, of visually educated individuals. Um, there's far less of just, oh, I'm just going to read this article. There's going to be no graphics or infographics or any type of useful information there. I'm going to have to discern it through black and white text or black and white columns of data. And right now, I mean, you'll see the book is laden with a lot of color schemes and, and, and pictures and visualizations to help things pop out to you to allow you to easily understand them. And then I also think it's great for retainage and, and, and information retainage uh, when you see pictures of things. Um, so it's like, how do I want the book to look? How do I want the pages to look? Oh, crap. We're going to need to add an extra page. You know, we're going to have to add an extra page here because um, there's more information. Oh, crap. Actually, guess what, guys? We're going to have to add two pages to each team chapter or in some cases, three pages because I want to put more information in here. So that's a lot of the planning process. Um, then when we get into the next step, it's like actually pulling in the data and updating all of the uh, visualizations and tables with the most current information. Um, and then it's like analyzing the draft and all of that. But when we get to the actual writing, when we get to the actual uh, long form writing, as you said, I first basically look at this thing and I say for 31 of the teams in the NFL, I, I look at it and then I separate the other team. And I say for the 31 teams, why didn't they win the Super Bowl? And what do they need to do to improve on their team building process and their potential for winning the Super Bowl in the future? Each team has something different or a lot of things that they didn't do well or they're not doing well or they need to change. Um, and then for the one team that won the Super Bowl, in this case, which is the Kansas City Chiefs, I looked at what made these guys great and how did they win the Super Bowl? And then what do they need to work on? Because every team needs to work on something. So what do these guys still need to improve upon? And then for them, I looked at a slightly different angle, which is because of how great their offense is, which is, you know, how should teams plan to beat these guys, right? Like how should teams and opponents that are getting ready to play the Chiefs game plan, strategize themselves to try to 
beat the Chiefs. And I looked at obviously Mahomes has been a 12 and four for two consecutive seasons, probably wins two consecutive Super Bowls, but for an offsides uh, in the AFC championship game in 2018. So uh, yeah, it's, it's, um, it's a lot of work from that perspective. Like each team is different. And I try to leave the reader with something that they didn't think of before giving them some uh, an, an education when they leave this chapter that I've learned something here. Um, and now I have a better idea of why they were doing things, but also a better idea of like what Warren thinks they're going to do for 2020 and uh, educating the reader in that way. Yeah. And there's, I mean, obviously I've read all of these, so there's uh, a lot of nuggets and obviously there's, everything is unique, but we always find out, I think you'll find also in every chapter that every team can run uh, play action and use more pre-snap motion. I think that's, <laughs> that <laughs> yes. always, there's, there's this long, Warren finds these uh, long, unique ways to uh, describe what teams can do better. And then we'll just throw in a paragraph and they can be running more pre-snap motion. And uh, that's just, yeah, it's this thing everyone uh, can be doing. I think we can all say that. Um, teams should be running more pre-snap motion. Everyone should be listening to more pre-snap motion, which is a plug for our other podcast with Rich Rebar, our fantasy podcast. Um, so uh, go download that also. Um, so, uh, and, uh, but going into what we're looking at in this book, I think it's really cool because it is so visual. And one of the things I've really liked as like we were talking about what to put together is, is all of these visuals. And there are some good graphs and, and the heat maps that we put in, are, I think are unparalleled to what you're going to find really uh, anywhere else um, between where receivers are targeted, where quarterbacks had success um, off of so many different um, you know, types of plays, whether it was with play action, without play action, and, and targeting different positions. And there's just, there's an entire page of heat maps um, in each team chapter. Uh, and I think that just looking at those visuals gives you just as much information as a, a whole, you know, written, uh, you know, 2000 word essay might. Um, and I think that's one of the really cool things about the book this year also. Yeah, there, and there was a number of things I think that, um, that is different about the book. But if we back up for a second, even before like what we've added to the book, which people are going to find fascinating, we've got a different delivery for the book. And I'm getting a lot of questions about this on Twitter and I try to answer them as best I can. You're, you'll see, I'll tweet out a screenshot of like how many thousands of emails that I've got unanswered, unopened in my inbox and Slack messages and stuff. Like I just am so backed up trying to finish this thing. So I can't get to everyone. But for those people that are listening to this, historically, we've done this book on Amazon, and it's been a full color, 250-page book that has sold on Amazon. Like I said, it usually does really well. People, people love it. People are scooping up like hotcakes. The issue becomes how the pricing structure works when you're publishing a book on Amazon. So just really briefly, I'll share that you tell Amazon this, the uh, dimensions of the book, you tell Amazon how many pages you have in the book, and you tell Amazon whether you want black and white or full color. Based upon that, they've got an algorithm, and they tell you the minimum list price that you can set for this book. So for a 250-page book, full color, eight and a half by 11, you have to set the price right around $30. You cannot set the price any lower than that. And so in order to make, in years past, I've made about 25 cents per printed copy, which is... This is why Jeff Bezos makes a shitload of money, pardon my language, but this is why he makes a shitload of money because 
you know, I'm making 20 cents a copy and they're selling this thing for $30 or $31 or whatever the price ended up being. Um, and so when I looked at into selling it again on Amazon for another season, I started, that's where the page counts become a big deal. Oh crap, guys, I want to do an extra page. I want to put a bunch of heat maps in here, but the, that's the good thing. But the bad thing is that it adds an extra page and now we're, the list price is going to go up. We got to a point where the minimum list price was about $40 on Amazon. So you, the customer would have to pay $40 for this. And then we still would only make 20 cents off of it. This did not seem to make any sense at all to just give all this money to Bezos and not keep a little bit for ourselves as well as make you guys pay a lot less. So what we decided to do is this is the biggest difference for this book compared to years past. We are not selling it on Amazon full color. Um, and we're coming out with the book right now in full color PDF and it's only $24.99. So I think it's the best of both worlds. You guys don't have to pay nearly as much and you know, you're going to be able to get the book earlier because it's not going to even be ready up on Amazon if I submitted it to them uh, for probably 10 to 14 days from right now, from, from July 1st. Um, and we're planning on giving it to you next week at a lower price. We probably will put a book uh, up on Amazon later in July, but it'll be black and white because I'm not going to sell this thing for $40. I, I think that's ridiculous. I don't think you guys should have to pay that amount. So we'll be able to sell it for a lower price, uh, but it's only, it, it is going to be black and white. So that's the drawback. So I think that's the biggest difference um, is just like delivery of the way that this book is reaching you guys. But I mean, Dan's right. Like there's heat maps, there's new visualizations. We're looking at a lot of really cool uh, player tracking metrics that have been incorporated into the book this season that you probably aren't going to find in many other preview books. And uh, they're really descriptive because it's player track. It's like the most finite data that we can get our hands on. Um, and so there's a lot of that in here. And the other thing that I spent a lot of time focusing on is, you know, when I'm consulting with teams, it's like, well, what really wins games? What, what are the most important things that we need to work on to help you guys win this game versus this opponent that you're going to be playing? And a lot of it has to do with what you're doing on early downs and what you're doing in the first half of games. And so I spent a lot of time in the book preparing like an entire page that showcases what is this team's tendencies on early downs in the first half and what do they like to do? How often are they running uh, play action? Uh, you know, how explosive is their offense in the first half? How, you know, like a variety of different metrics, primarily based on the first half, like how often are they running into six or seven or eight plus man boxes? So we're diving into a lot of these statistics that are going to really help get, give you guys a better sense as to the real way teams are winning games and how a lot of them are starting to game plan uh, that incorporate some of this data and why it is so important. Yeah, and that's you know what really comes with the, all this book. There's there's so much information in there, and and while we do that, why don't we get into maybe some uh, specifics of uh, maybe a, a little bit of of a preview uh, of this book? So uh, this can go to either one of you. What teams, while maybe you were writing, do you think? Uh, and maybe let's start with Rich. What teams, while you were writing, do you think kind of surprised you uh, maybe uh, a little more than you thought they were going to, uh, or just something that, that you really uh, in, um, like to, to dive into? 
The one team that kind of stood out when I was doing them just based on expectations, you know, when we're writing these chapters, you, we, you know, we all watched football last year and watched the season. So, you know, you have some expectations when you're going to a chapter of, you know, well, I remember this player being good or this is where this team struggled. And, you know, I, the one team that stuck out to me the most that I really dove in and was hashing out some of their efficiency and what they did on the field last season was the new the, – the Las Vegas Raiders, they, you know, not the Oakland Raiders anymore. I mean, if you look at last year, this was a team that was set to basically funnel their passing game through Antonio Brown as their major acquisition last year. And we all watch hard knocks and we all know how that saga ended up playing out towards the end of summer. And they were forced to pivot and, you know, run their offense through a tight end that had 18 career catches up until this point, you know, and Darren Waller who had some off field issues and, you know, some transgressions that, pushed his career back and he got off and running and then they ran their the secondary target was a slot receiver that's basically is the same physical build that I have and he had those 602 yards as a high in four collegiate college season at Clemson and Hunter Renfro but this was a team that then turned around and was fourth in the NFL in success rate through the air uh, Derek Carr had career highs in completion rate and kind of yards per pass attempt at 7.9 yards he's kind of morphed into probably the career that would have happened for Sam Bradford but you know just never happened. Uh, but the Raiders were actually sixth in the NFL in yards for passing play. They were 12th in expected points added via the pass, which is, you know, I didn't, you don't go back and look at the Raiders and you say, look at the roster and say, that was an, an efficient passing team, but they were, they were 11th in explosive, you know, play, play rate passing. Um, the only thing that they were struggled at, and I kind of hinted at, you know, calling him Sam Bradford, Derek Carr, is that they were 27th in yards to success rate and they were 23rd in yards above success rate. Uh, which means kind of there's, you know, successful plays were kind of hitting the base baseline level of what was successful and they weren't getting a lot of those huge plays despite, you know, having a high rate of explosive plays overall. And then when you look at their rushing game and the, the offensive line was excellent, they were really high in adjusted yards created for their running backs. I mean, they were 12th in success rate rushing. Uh, Josh Jacobs, a first round rookie, was above league rate in rushing. He missed three games and still led the NFL in forced missed tackles. So I look at that, you know, that roster and how successful they were with kind of not really having a complete team and being able to pivot off of what they kind of intended to do all summer. And you add a first round speedster like Henry Ruggs, a guy can generate explosive plays. They can get him the ball when he's moving. He's not just a deep threat. If you get him on those slants and digs, that's where he was successful at Alabama. He wasn't used as their deep threat. Uh, Devontae Smith was at Alabama. Then you add Lynn Bowden from Kentucky, who was a converted wide receiver and a converted quarterback, just kind of a jack of all trades, Swiss Army knife in the offense. And Brian Edwards, one of my favorite uh, young wide receivers in this class, only 21 years old. Uh, and then you had Jason Witten and Nelson Aguilar in free agency as well. But the, the, the Raiders are kind of an interesting team to me because they were uh, one more highly efficient than I remember them being uh, on the field last year. And then I like the pieces they added to kind of complement what they found success doing a year ago. Yeah, the Raiders, I, you know, I, researching the, their chapter and their team, um, I found some really interesting things. I won't go into all the details, but I found a couple of things that they were doing very differently, for instance, on third downs and where they were actually throwing the ball and when they were pushing it down the field versus throwing it short. I was looking at a metric called excess air yards, which is something that I sort of came up with. Maybe other people have looked into it or not. I, I don't really know, but um, excess air yards, you know, like how far beyond the sticks are you actually throwing the football on third down? People I've heard of, you know, uh, yards to third down and, and whatnot, but excess air yards is like how far 
beyond that are you going? And I found some really interesting strategies that when, when they had like third and long versus third and short um, and how they were very different from the league. And there's a couple other things that I noticed uh, that the Raiders were doing uh, that was just really, really different. And it, some of the things helped get Derek Carr's third down interception rate much lower. Uh, you know, he had, I think over the last two years, uh, he's had only one interception on third downs. He's had a lot more interceptions on first and second down. Most quarterbacks tend to go less on first, a little bit more on second down, much more on third downs. You don't have as many third downs typically, but Derek Carr was very low on his third down interception rate. Uh, the thing that, you know, there's, I could, I could talk about every single team. I found so many interesting nuggets about all of them, but one nugget that I found in particular, we were about to release this as the, uh, sample chapter, Dan, the Arizona Cardinals. And, you know, I was looking at Kingsbury and what he did and just the irony of Cliff Kingsbury's season last year. And a lot of people view Cliff Kingsbury as, you know, the four verts guy, the guy who's just trying to throw four wide receivers out on the field and, and run his four verts offense from the air raid uh, school that he attended. But the reality is the way that he had to modify his offense because of injuries and personnel, the, ray, the way that they were winning games, especially, you know, they started out without a win through the first month of the season, but the way that they were rattling off wins against the Bengals week five and the Falcons week six and the Giants week seven was a lot of two tight end sets, you know, and you know, the four verts offense, that's 10 personnel. There's no tight ends out on the field. He's winning games by sticking two tight ends out on the field. Actually, that's where he was a lot more efficient when compared to even 11 personnel or let alone 10 personnel is when he had two tight ends out on the field. It left me, you know, I cover this in a lot deeper elements on the, on the, in the chapter, but it left me feeling really confident about his ability to adapt his philosophy to the talent that is available to him on the roster. And I think too many coaches, there are some that are really good at doing that, but there are also some coaches that have a pre-established philosophy and mentality of what they want to do offensively. And they try to fit their players into that especially when a system like this, especially a system you're introducing, it would be very easy for him to say, look, I need the next wide receiver up. We need to bring somebody on. If we have to move somebody up from the practice squad, I need my wide receivers. We're going to run this offense. That's just what we're doing here. And then if they lost, he could blame it on injuries, but he didn't go that easy route. He instead adapted, used his tight ends more and, you know, gave himself a much higher floor than what I was expecting to find. So that was really good on him. Dan, you know, obviously you're cranking through the editing, but you spent a lot of time studying the defenses. And was there a team that you noticed or jumped out to you from a defensive perspective uh, that was maybe a surprise to the reader? I think one thing I found out just kind of league wide, which uh, it took me by surprise is how little depth some of these teams have. And I think that's going to be really important this year, uh, especially when we don't really know. Uh, there's so many other health concerns other than, you know, playing football, which is dangerous in itself. Um, but there's so many other concerns we, we now have and how little depth there is uh, on, on some of these defenses that we seem to think are pretty good. Um, and when those 
you know, defense is already high variance. We don't know what really defenses are going to be from year to year, at least much less than we know about offenses. So a team like the Bills, who have a really good, you know, secondary, um, but when you look at their safeties, you know, uh, Mika Hyde, Jordan Poyer is one of the best safety duos of the league. They don't really have anyone behind them. So if one of those guys gets hurt or can't play, um, yeah, I think they're, they have completely have to switch around what they do on defense because there's just uh, not a lot there. And uh, I think I just I found that in a lot of position groups, there just wasn't really the depth uh, that, that I thought uh, would be there for a lot of the, the team, uh, the good team defenses. Um, and, and I think you go back to Arizona. That, that's a team where like I want to be really high on them. I like what Cliff Kingsbury did uh, last year. I wrote during the season uh, about his uh, shift um, in philosophy to some of that more 12 personnel heavy and not relying so on the, the 10 personnel when there weren't four good wide receivers to put on the field. Um, he, he realized that and moved over. Um, I wrote about that. I really liked it. I also talked to uh, Rich on the Pre-Snap Motion podcast kind of about uh, Kyler Murray and how often they through well, behind the line of scrimmage on first downs and something that needs to change. And I think that's something that can. But when you look at that defense, man, there's just not a lot there. And it's, so many of what they tried to do um, in in free agency, I didn't really understand. Uh, they spent a lot of money on Jordan Phillips, who is you know not a great interior defensive lineman. They uh, brought in Devondre Campbell to play linebacker, and he has been terrible uh, in coverage in Atlanta, and they allowed him to leave, and I really think they're going to be better not giving him the snaps. Um, and then, I mean, they brought in Isaiah Simmons. They drafted him uh, seventh overall, but they say they're going to play him as a linebacker, whether you know they're just saying that or not um, is, is interesting. I think he you know, he brings a, a very unique skill set, and I hope they use that correctly. They don't have a lot of depth at safety. Buda Baker is one of the best young safeties in the league, um, but like Jalen Thompson is is their other deep safety, and, and they don't really have a lot there. So that that's a team that like I want to like so much, but just looking at some of the depth they have and, and how they decided to go about constructing, especially the defensive side of the ball this year, just kind of gives me a lot of hesitation, and I, I don't like that I wish they did a little better but uh when I was just kind of digging into it I just I I can't get completely on board with the Arizona Cardinals being as good as I want them to be this year yeah that's it is frustrating when you see teams that aren't building like as optimally as you think that they potentially could and certainly that division that they're in out in the NFC West I mean there's a lot of potential for teams to move up and down in that division we saw what happened to the Rams they were sort of off of their Super Bowl hangover in the 2019 season having lost to the uh, New England Patriots in that 2018 Super Bowl so uh, they were a little bit down you've got the Seahawks seemingly fighting this internal battle of what they want to do and what their philosophy should be to maximize their ability to win games and it's like this internal struggle uh, going on there. And, and, and I think that the vision as a whole, there's a lot of potential for teams to move up and down. And of course, the 49ers themselves are now coming off of a Super Bowl hangover, uh, you know, where they lost the Super Bowl and now they, they have to kind of rebuild. But I think they did a great job of, of reloading on some of the guys that left and they aren't maybe as damaged as some uh, Super Bowl loser teams um, because a lot of times those teams get fleeced by free agency. They get fleeced by their coaching staff, you know, going elsewhere. And, and I think they're still in a good position. That's going to be awesome division to look at uh, rich, you know, 
we're talking about a surprise team. What was one of your favorite teams to dig into? Maybe it was because you just really wanted to learn a little bit more about this team, or maybe it was because you just enjoyed some of the pieces and it re your research reinforced some of your convictions on certain players from a fantasy perspective or otherwise. But what was one of your favorite teams to research? I mean, for me, easily was the Tennessee Titans because it's just borderline insane how Tennessee closed last season and, you know, <laughs> on the efficiency level. Paired, paired with their team approach, too, the, this how, how they were able to operate. Uh, just, I mean, it really was head-scratching. Some, some of the stats and statistics and efficiency they had just generally it just makes no sense. Like, I mean, you know, especially, like, when you see guys in these offenses pop, like when the Chiefs popped with Patrick Mahomes, and you see the talent level Patrick Mahomes has. When the Ravens pop last year, and you see this unique dynamic ability that Lamar Jackson brings to an offense, you can see like how this is throwing teams through a loop. The Tennessee Titans turned over to a 31-year-old quarterback that averaged seven yards per pass attempt and a 4.2% touch rate for his career in the middle of their season, and then were arguably the best offense in the NFL outside of the Ravens from that point on in the season. I mean, they were first in yards generated above success rate in both rushing and passing plays once Ryan Tannehill took over as the starter. They scored a touchdown in 35% of their offensive drives under Tannehill. League base rate was 22%. That only trailed the Ravens over that span. And I've used this stat before, and I've used it with Dan on our show. Uh, when Tannehill took over, they scored on 26 of 30 of their red zone possessions over that span inside the red zone. They kicked one red zone field goal on 30 red zone possessions uh, over That's that span, insane. which is which is just absolutely been it doesn't make any sense. Uh, league no. rate over that span is 59% scoring under red zone possessions and 31% of drives in the red zone ending with a field goal attempt. So it means you're just running ultra hot on every third and fourth down and just one keeping drives going and then punching the ball in the end zone, which is just insane. Um, then you look at just how it rolled over to some of them stats that their individual players had. I mean, A.J. Brown was just the 18th rookie ever to have 1,000 yards in his rookie NFL season. He was the first player ever of those 18 to do it on fewer than 100 targets. He just 84 targets. He was the first guy to do it on fewer than 100. He had 84. He was the first to do it at under 60 catches or fewer. He had 52 catches. Uh, and you look at Derek Henry, I mean, through nine games in the season with Marcus Mariota and them not having optimal games, he just had 643 rushing yards. His season high was 100 yards rushing in a game through the nine games of the season. Then the nine games that he played after that point all the way through the postseason, he ran for 1,342 yards. Uh, and, and, you know, he failed to hit 100 yards in just two of those nine games. It was just an absolutely bonkers, wild finish to the season. I have no kind of clue where they even go from this. I feel like there's a lot of false positives that are going to be taken away from the way the Titans finished the season. Uh, in their 2019 end of season run. And I mean, hey, they knocked on the door. They were ahead in the AFC championship game uh, to start that game. Uh, it kind of makes them kind of a fragile team investment from a top-down stance, but uh, just an absolutely bonkers finish and a unique finish to a season, uh, especially, like I said, switching over to a guy that we kind of had considered kind of a career vagabond as a quarterback uh, up until that point in his career. Yeah, the, the Titans were crazy. And one of the nuggets that I have in their chapter – I think it's fascinating. It's going to come out of left field. Not Nobody's really going to expect this. Like I, I legitimately think that nobody's going to expect to discuss the Tennessee Titans and how they used two back sets with a fullback on only 1% of plays over the first 10 games of the season, but they closed the year using two back sets on 19% of the plays the rest of the way. And they made a massive change mid season by signing off of 
the Minnesota Vikings practice squad a fullback. He's actually a running back who played at Vanderbilt right near Tennessee. Um, and uh, Kari Blazingame, I don't, I don't know if that's exactly the way you pronounce his last name, Blazingame, Blazingame. But this guy came in and their 21 personnel sets ended up being the most efficient, the most productive grouping by far, whether you're talking about passing or rushing the football to close the season. So I got a lot in the chapter about this really interesting signing that John Robinson and Mike Vrabel brought in. Um, and of course, Arthur Smith had to get on board with bringing him in uh, and, and using them. They obviously started the season with a different fullback, uh, David Fluellen, but he was placed on IR after playing in only two games earlier in the season. So they were without a fullback for a while. Um, so I thought that was, you know, I thought that was fascinating um, to see that change. And there's a lot more in that Tennessee Titans chapter, but I agree. It's, it's a really unique um, situation. Dan, you know, what was, what about you? What was your favorite uh, team to research on the defensive side of, of the ball. Yeah, I mean, when I said that it would look through like league wide, how there isn't as much depth uh, as you would think on the defensive side of the ball, the exact opposite of that is the Baltimore Ravens, uh, who went into the offseason with a pretty good defense. It was something that improved uh, along the way. And then they added Calais Campbell for absolutely nothing, just a fifth round pick. Uh, they went and signed. Um, Derek Wolf to also be on the interior of that line. They lost Michael Pierce, but Brandon Williams is fine as, as a run stuffer. They added Justin Minduke. I don't, I'm not even going to try to pronounce that name in the first round, in the third round. Um, but they kept Matt Judon. Um, they brought back Pernell McPhee as an edge rusher. Uh, they drafted Patrick Queen uh, in the first round, Malik Harrison in the fourth round, um, or sorry, third round to, um, get the off-ball linebacker, which they don't even use that much because they play a, a lot of dime. And then you look at the corner position, Marcus Peters, Marlon Humphrey, they have Tavon Young, who's going to come back. He's a really good slot corner who they invested heavily in, uh, but he has injuries that cost him the 2017 and 2019 season. He's going to be back uh, if he is healthy. Um, they have Jimmy Smith, who can play either corner or safety if they need him to, um, but they might not even need him to play safety because they have Earl freaking Thomas back there. And then guys like uh, Chuck Clark and Anthony Levine, who were super good at blitzing last year, and no team blitzed their safeties more than the Ravens. Um, that's kind of how they generated the pass rush because they didn't really have the edge rush. Um, but they use those guys as super effective blitzers. Earl Thomas, uh, like the best single high deep safety of all time, became an incredibly effective blitzer last year at like a high rate of pass rushes also. Um, so the Ravens just completely can come at you from 19 different ways. Um, and they're so, they're just so deep at every position. They were already deep and then they got better. So they uh, absolutely just one of the favorite teams to look at just a good process of building with good players uh, and just using those players in, in all sorts of sorts of ways that are just, you have no idea how they're going to attack you on a, on a given play. Yeah, I think the Ravens are just a fascinating team in general. I love, I love so much about that team right now and just their philosophy and the, the creativity and, and just the collaborative efforts. They have so many different thought processes from different people working for that organization that are ultimately impacting their ability uh, and enhancing their ability to win games. It's really fun to see. For, for me, in terms of favorite team, I can't pick one. Uh, and I probably could if you twisted my arm. But um, look, to me, it's like, I got 32 kids and I don't want to pick one of them. Um, 
but with kids, when you've got, you know, each day of the week, maybe one kid is not, you know, going so great. So you might say, hey, this other kid's doing a little bit better today. And then you flip flop the next day. But the reality is with these teams, when I'm writing up their chapters, if one of the teams is just so frustrating and so annoying because they're not making smart decisions. And like Dan says, they're not drafting good players and the coaching staff isn't going well. That's actually a fun chapter to write, you know, to rip these guys apart and to criticize them and critique them. So just because teams aren't doing smart things, maybe there are some teams that are more frustrating to write about, but in terms of like having fun, writing their chapters. Uh, I, I enjoyed writing all of these chapters. Now, the one cool thing that we're doing is we're giving away a free chapter of the book so that everybody can check out and get a good preview as to what the book looks like. And this year we are going with the Pittsburgh Steelers. Uh, now that really is not a, um, an indication that I, I love the Pittsburgh Steelers necessarily this season, but you know, we did go ahead and pick the, uh, the free chapter last year to be the San Francisco 49ers and they were projected to finish in third place in their division and they made it all the way to the Super Bowl. Uh, so that was a team that, you know, I was much higher on and the chapter showcased the fact that I think these guys are getting overlooked. I think these guys are going to be much better. For the Pittsburgh Steelers, is a little bit different. The way that I wrote that chapter and some of the things that I shared in that chapter, one of the reasons we wanted to put it out there is because there's just a lot of interesting nuggets. We know that they didn't have Ben Roethlisberger. That's a fact. But there's a lot that you can still analyze about that team and try to use to forecast. This is always a team that's in the thick of it when Roethlisberger is healthy. So trying to understand their strengths and weaknesses and how their schedule plays out to get a sense as to what they're going to do this year and how they're going to impact the race to the postseason. Remember, seven teams in the AFC and the NFC make the playoffs this year. So we have an extra team in there, a little bit more likely that potentially the Steelers could make it there. But I want to go through and kick it to you guys to talk a little bit about um, one maybe item that stood out to you most from the Pittsburgh Steelers. But I think for me real quick, the one thing that was just really interesting to research and write about was – they're offensive coordinator, and I'm just not a huge fan of Randy Fickner and what he was doing there in Pittsburgh, but there is hope. You know, I detail a lot of things that I did not like, and some of it was just his predictiveness based upon personnel that was on the field. I mean, he has two running backs, Rich. You know this more than either Dan or I because you're the fantasy guy, but when Jalen Samuels is on the field, 75% of the time, the Steelers are going past. When they put Benny Snell on the field instead, who isn't a great run blocker, you know, he's a rookie last year, 78% of the time, the Steelers are running the ball. I mean, we're talking like three out of every four plays. Those are very high predictive natures. And the passes when Samuels was out there, not just passes to him, but just passes in general when he's out there, sucked 4.9 yards per attempt, worse than their yards per attempt on other passes. And when Benny Snell was out on the field, those rushes were terrible as well. And for example, if you combined Benny Snell with Johnny Holton, who was one of their extra wide receivers, if those two guys were out on the field, it was a run 67 of 73 times. That's 92% run. It's absolutely ridiculous, some of the predictiveness. But it wasn't just the predictive nature of their offense coordinator. There was a number of other things that I don't like. I have not liked the fact that Pittsburgh refuses to use play action, Dan. Back to what you said at the early part, every team could use more <laughs> play action. Well, the freaking Steelers could really use it because they never use play action. Um, but I think a really cool thing that I spent a bunch of time writing about as well in this chapter was the fact that the Steelers 
brought in Matt Canada as a quarterback coach. And Tomlin said he's got fresh ideas and new schematic ideas that will have an input on the offensive game plans. And I went back through and looked at some of the things that Matt Canada had been doing. I think we may run into a power struggle in Pittsburgh between Matt Canada and their current offense coordinator. I think there's the possibility that that occurs, but I love the fact that Canada's thought process is going to get reflected and hopefully incorporated into this offense a little bit more because that would be a big value if they start doing some of the things that Canada's suggesting. But Rich, what's, what did you think about the Pittsburgh Steelers? Is there anything that really stood out to you that you found really interesting when you were researching for this chapter? Well, Matt Canada, they drafted his, one of his running backs at Maryland, Anthony McFarland, to kind of alleviate some of that tell tunativist that you kind of led on that their offense had uh you know anthony mcfarland is a he's he's a better receiver than benny snell and he's a better runner than jalen samuel so i think you get a guy that kind of merge both worlds and maybe not offer as tip off the defense as much and use him i mean granted they did hire eddie faulkner the year before who was jalen samuels you know fullbacks and tight ends coach at north nc state and it really didn't help their their cause either (laughs) so hopefully there's hopefully there's some some bleed over still though but uh in in using guys creatively uh on their offense instead of just bring up sky and dictating to the defense like this is what we're going to do and i mean just so much of their offense is really hard to judge because of what they had to deal with you know behind ben roethlisberger i mean devlin high and Mason Rudolph were way below replacement level players a year ago. I can't even believe that they're still rostered by an NFL team, let alone a team that that figured out that they couldn't play. Uh, you know, but granted, you know Ben Roethlisberger is not the type of uh, persona that's going to let them really be challenged. You know, by a veteran player like a Jameis Winston or a Cam Newton. I mean, I just couldn't see Pittsburgh signing any of those guys or Ben. You know, kind of being along for the ride of being challenged by one of those guys, even though he probably should. Uh, but we don't know if Ben, 38 years old, we don't know what life uh, post-Antonio Brown really looks like for him, but we don't really know what life for a post-Antonio Brown really looks like for Juju Smith-Schuster either, you know, based on what happened last season. Not only was he injured by the quarterback play, he's a guy that he had four different injuries uh, throughout the course of the season. He missed four games. He was 78th out of 84 qualifying receivers in terms of success rate per target. Now, some of that definitely is quarterback-induced, but it was also worse then the other two players on his team, rookie Deontay Johnson and then, you know, James Washington in his second year. So he was still outplayed by those guys as well. I think it's, you know, you look at the Steelers, they went from 2018, they averaged 313 passing yards. They turn around last year, they go to 186.3 passing yards. It was the largest single season decline of passing yardage uh, for a team in NFL history. So, I mean, we're looking for some recoil there. Uh, you're looking for that passing game to bounce back. I mean, they're a team that used 11 personnel a lot, even last year. So they're, the core nucleus is those three guys that we talked about, you know, Juju Smith-Schuster, Deontay Johnson. Uh, this is a team in uh, James Washington. And this is a team that's kind of always been chasing what they got from like a half season of Ladarius Green. And they bring in, they draft Chase Claypool in the second round, uh, a guy that many people thought would convert to tight end, but he's staying at wide receiver. They bring in, you know, the ghost of Eric Ebron to kind of, you know, fill that kind of void that this offense has had. So look at the pieces they got on offense. I know that they're still good. You got James Conner, durability has been a concern. Uh, the one concern I do have with the Steelers overall is just how old their offensive line has gotten. And they were really poor up front last year. Uh, they were one 
one of the league's worst teams against the run because you overlook it because of just how bad their passing game was, but they were equally as bad in the rushing department. And you just look across the offensive line, every guy's over 30 years old. I mean, David DeCastro, uh, Andrew Villavoneva, uh, Pouncey, they bring in Steven Wisniewski. He's over 30. They, this offensive line got really old in a hurry, and that's where they're going to have to really bounce back. And that offensive line's got to play a lot better than it did last season uh, for this offense to really get cooking and, you know, tear things up through the air like they did a year ago or two years ago, that is. Yeah, 100%. I wrote a little bit about that O-line. You're absolutely right. That that O-line is going to need to to step up. Um, Dan, how about you? What did you think about when you were looking at the Steelers' defense? Uh, obviously, they added Minka Fitzpatrick. What, what else did you notice of the defense that you think readers might find interesting? I mean, it's just going to be how much – this defense is probably going to regress and how lucky they got last year because of those turnovers. And you can still be a good defense and not have as many turnovers as you had last year. And last year they had, because of the offense was terrible. Uh, they had the 27th worst starting field position among defenses, but they still finished third in points and yards allowed per drive. And a lot of that just had to do with how many uh, interceptions they had. And a lot of those were lucky. A lot of them came uh, Mick Fitzpatrick, which were good plays. He was in the right place at the right time. It's just not a Always, you know, repeatable. So I think we're going to see a decline there where uh, the defense is going to be on the field a little longer. We're going to see how that that goes because they they lost a couple pieces. Uh, Javon Hargrave uh, hit free agency. He's now with the Eagles. He was a big factor in the middle of that uh, defensive line. Uh, still have Cam Hayward and Stephon Tewitt, and, and that's that's good. Um, but well, we'll see. And but, I mean, a little further back, uh, you got someone like Mark Barron, who was not good last year, but still played 70% of the defensive snaps as an off-ball linebacker. Um, and even though he wasn't good, those are snaps that still need to be taken up by someone. And they didn't really add a lot uh, at linebacker. They have Vince Williams, who was good in uh, a limited role last year. He had decent coverage. He was a really good blitzer. Uh, but now, if even if they just play nickel, you know, uh, the majority of the time, he's someone who is going to see a, a much bigger role. And it, that's another team that doesn't have a lot of depth, uh, especially uh, in their secondary. Um, you know, Terrell Edmonds and, um, and Minka Fitzpatrick, their two safeties, they didn't add a lot. Only Antoine Brooks uh, in the sixth round this year. They have Marcus Allen, uh, who was uh, – fifth round pick in 2018 there's just there's not a lot of of depth there so if anything goes wrong um we'll see a lot of a lot of regression for for the Steelers defense and I think the plus side is that they're getting a quarterback back that they might not have to rely on the defense uh quite as much as they did uh, last year but that's a good thing because the results probably are not going to be the same yeah I I I can't uh can't disagree with that whatsoever so guys you know as we wrap things up here, anything that we missed that I should have shared with people before I close out that you guys found interesting about the book, about the process that you think we should reiterate here at the end? No, I mean, listen, if you, if you like some of the stuff you heard, I mean, that's, that's basically just the surface scratch of what's on the kind of content that's in this book and the level of detail that's in there. So, I mean, definitely, you know, be excited that it's about to be out here and, you know, just listen, I hope everyone has a safe, you know, holiday weekend, whatever they can make of it. Yeah, I agree. Dan, Dan, do you have anything? Yeah, I, I think we, we covered it and you're going to get stuff like that in literally every chapter. Every chapter is uh, thousands of words of detail and thousands of words worth of uh, uh, 
graphics and, and information visually uh, that you're going to see. And uh, just all of that together uh, makes it uh, unlike anything else. So uh, obviously, uh, if people are listening to this, they're probably familiar with the book. But if not, uh, definitely uh, something uh, you should be grabbing. And really, when I think about it, it's really the, the kickoff to, to football season. I think when these preview books uh, start coming out. So, um, you know, I still think we are wondering what the season is going to look like. But um, uh, it's nice to know that these preview books are still coming out and we're going to get to uh, dig into these and have all the information uh, very soon uh, in, uh, you know, early July. So that's exciting. Yeah, I agree. I, look, hopefully with the depth of this conversation and the discussion with the three of us here, you guys can tell how much work has been put into this book. Uh, it's months literally of work to get this thing done and, and ready for you and into your hands. And so how can you get it? Well, the first way, if you really want to preview this Steelers chapter and get a sense as to what it looks like, you can get that for free. It's up at sharpfootballanalysis.com backslash get it now. And with in between each word is just a hyphen. So get hyphen it hyphen now. And if you want to just get the copy of the book via pre-sale, because the book is coming out beginning of next week, guys, and you might as well get a copy of it now because it is on early bird special right now. Um, you want to go to just sharpfootballanalysis.com and you'll be able to see a lot of different links all over the page there to get a copy of the book, just grab it. You're going to get a PDF copy, full color, 350 pages beginning of next week, deposited into your account. And I think you're really going to be happy with it. I always try to temper expectations, you know, what I share with people, but this book is significantly better than last year's book. Thanks to additional things that we added to it and the work of these two fine gentlemen that have been helping me with this book um, and, and some of the visualizations that we've added to it. And, you know, the, the amount that I've written, I've always had to scale back. I've always had to cut things out. Uh, the prior editor, my good friend, Evan Silva, he was, you know, really good at editing my words down so that they could fit so that we could fit this thing into 250 pages and get it out to you. But now that we're doing it via PDF and there's no page limit, I was just able to write and obviously that made Dan's life a lot harder um, as, as he can clearly <laughs> attest to, but um, it gave you guys some better information, some, some deeper dives into different things that hasn't been in the book in years past where I've had to cut those things out. So I'm super stoked to get this in your guys' hands beginning of next week, guys. I hope you've enjoyed this little walk through the podcast, uh, walk through the book via this podcast. We are really excited to get these podcasts out to you on a more regular basis moving forward on a weekly basis with this one, on a weekly basis with the pre-snap motion podcast. That's our fantasy offering. Um, so hopefully you guys are subscribing to these. Looking forward to sharing information with you all summer long. And this book's going to kickstart that summer prep for you. It's going to be a lot of information and you're going to have a lot of fun diving into it. Hope you guys like it. Go to the website, grab your copy at sharpfootballanalysis.com. Like Rich said, be safe for Dan, for Rich. I'm Warren Sharp. You guys have a great 4th of July weekend. Stay safe and we will talk to you soon. I'm not going to